Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Communication system is a go. Go! This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Exactly. Friday afternoon with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. All guests on Sports Talk appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Rob Fisher joins us from the Memphis Grizzlies. He is the Sideline reporter, host the pre- and post-game show on the uh, Grizzlies television network, Fox Sports Southeast, and he's on your radio right now. Rob, what's up, my man? Not much. How you doing, Richard? I'm a little disappointed, I guess, that I'm not going to uh, get to see you next week. Uh, our, our, our SEC Media I'm, Days visits have I'm been epic. Be there. I'm going you to are? be there. Yes, I will get to see you next week. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah I got Beautiful. Uh, I got. I'm going to be doing the uh, Chris Vernon show on Grind City Media from SEC Media Days next week. So looking forward to it. Fantastic. Look forward to visiting with you next week uh, in Hoover. Not in Atlanta this time. Back in Hoover, though, for uh, SEC Media Days. We'll talk college football then. I would love, though, to talk with you a little bit about what has happened over the last couple of weeks in the NBA. Let's start with the Grizzlies. No surprise that John Morant is the, uh, is the pick. All of a sudden... It feels like maybe there's some new excitement around the Grizzlies. Is that a good read on what's going on? Yeah, I think so. I, I think what, what you're seeing with the Grizzlies now is something you really haven't seen in a while. You know, they, they held on to that core four for a long time, had a long playoff run, and, and then when you felt like it was over in the last couple of years, it was like, you know, what do you do next? And, and how are you going to move forward? And do you have to move away from those core players? And I think what we've seen this offseason is truly, for the first time in a long time, a vision of moving forward. And, you know, Jaron Jackson, who you drafted last year, he's he's the guy that is going to be your future. And now getting John Morant, you know, those two guys are your future. And then all the other moves that have been made in between, you know, you're continuing to pick up young players and pick up assets that you can use, expiring contracts that maybe you can trade during the season draft picks for a future to, to put around Jaron and Jaw. So I think it's a vision that has people excited. And, you know, with the guys that they've drafted and the guys that they've picked up, it's a, it, it seems as though they'll be able to put an exciting brand of basketball on the floor, more of today's NBA than maybe what we've seen from the Grizzlies. And, you know, it will also give you hope going forward. And I, I think that's, uh, that's what's exciting about what the Grizzlies are doing this offseason for sure. So Grayson Allen, part of the Grizzlies. Now, what's the over-under on the number of times that he will be ejected this year? <laughs> That's a good number. It would, uh, you have to think about that one for a while. It's amazing Mike Conley's career has never had a technical, and Grayson Allen's had three in the summer league. And so, Aren't you supposed okay, to like just kind of chill out and be relaxed in the summer league? Have fun with it? Yeah, yeah you don't see many technicals or at least ejections in the summer league, but... I'll tell you what, we haven't had a, 
We haven't had many, and I mean, I can't even think of one going back of having that bad boy on your team, that that guy who you hate to play against but you love to have on your team. And, you know, it, I guess the jury's still out on whether or not Grayson Allen can play in the NBA and be a serviceable rotation guy, but I, I hope he can because he does bring a little nastiness, and I think that's something that you like in your team, especially with a young team, a guy that's going to stand up for himself and stand up for his teammates and – I hope he can play in the NBA and be a rotation guy because I, I don't I don't remember the last time Grizzlies really had a little nasty in their lineup and certainly Grayson would bring that. If you're going to have that though, and I think this is what you were hitting on a second ago, you got to be able to play, right? I, I mean, if you want to go back to the nasty boys with the Pistons and and some of what they did, they were really really good. In addition right. to having that reputation, if you're just a punk. Then and, and you're not very good, then you can't last long, right? Exactly. I mean, I think the guy that you look at is a guy like Patrick Beverly, who's you know former SEC guy at Arkansas and played overseas and really had to kind of find his niche and make it in the league. And, and he has finally made it in the league, and he's made it big in the league. And, you know, it, it, he's got that nastiness about him. He's that guy that you hate to play against but would love to have on your team. But He's gotten to the point in his career where now he's able to score and he's able to create and he's he's able to play and you you, you trust putting him on the floor and if you know if Grayson can be that kind of guy if he's not that kind of guy he's just not going to last in the NBA you just it's not like hockey where you just throw a goon out there who's going to mix it up with guys on that fourth <laughs> line I mean this is the NBA if you're going to play you better be able to contribute so. If he can be a contributor, and he was late in the season last year with the Utah Jazz when he got a little more time, uh, hopefully he can be that guy and just bring a little nasty to your team. So we had a Woj bomb last night. Big trade looks like it's happening between Oklahoma City and Houston. I, I, I guess the fact that, that you've got Westbrook and, and Chris Paul swapping is the is the big news. But to me, the fascinating part it's kind of what Oklahoma City has done in the last week and a half, and more than anything, not what they've given away, but what they've been able to get back and put themselves in a position to rebuild. Is that at all a similar model to what the Grizzlies are kind of going through right now, or is it altogether different? Yeah, well, I think they've been forced into that mode. You know, I don't, I don't think they wanted to lose Paul George. I don't think they wanted to trade Russell Westbrook, but once George decided he was going to leave, you know, it made it very difficult for Oklahoma City to keep Russell Westbrook in the situation that they're now going to be in with, you know, not a lot of depth and not a lot of star power around him. So they were able to, you know, make him happy by sending him to a team that can contend. They get Chris Paul back, and, you know, the talk is that Chris Paul's going to be dealt as well, and they're going to try to move him to a team that can compete and contend as well. So, yeah, it's an overall rebuild for them now. They don't have the young star power that the Grizzlies have. They're a little step behind at that point. But with all the assets that they've picked up in these moves, it's something that going forward they hope to have. They picked up a ton of first-round picks. So, you know, that's something in the next couple of years that they hope they can capitalize on and and they can get guys that are going to be the future of the franchise. Because Oklahoma City is in a different position than they've ever been since they've come into the league. You know, when they moved from Seattle that first year in Oklahoma City, they weren't very good, but they had a superstar in Kevin Durant and a star yeah. in Russell Westbrook, and it was new to the city. And then since then, they've just been a perennial playoff team, playoff contender. 
And now all of a sudden they're going rock bottom, and it'll be interesting to see how the city reacts to it, how their fan base reacts to it, and uh, it, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. Now they got all these assets, but it's not a team where you're going to have a lot of free agents that are going to be, you know, knocking down the door to come to Oklahoma City anymore. They were they were able to get Paul George because they were contender because they had another star in Westbrook. But, you know, you're not going to get big-time free agents. You're going to have to build through the draft, and they're picking up a bunch of assets to be able to do it. So I'm a casual NBA fan. I'm not the diehard NBA fan that a lot of people are that are in Memphis that follow the Grizzlies on every single day. But I've kind of gotten wrapped up in this offseason and all the moves and the seeming balance that exists going into the 2019-20 season. It, are, are there a lot of people that, that think this coming year is going to be refreshing in the NBA in that there doesn't feel like there's a predetermined outcome going into the year? There's a lot of talk about it not being good for the league with players determining you know when they want to leave and um, you know them dictating what teams they go to and, and I understand that, but, I'll say this, I, I think it is refreshing because, you know, a year ago today, you could pretty much figure out who was going to represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. And if it wasn't Golden State, well, maybe Houston, if you want to be crazy and bold. Did we just lose Rob? Richard? Hey, there we are. That was on my end, not yours. My bad. Okay. Well, but now I think what's exciting is you have close to double-digit teams that could really make a case for being in the NBA Finals, and that wasn't the case the last handful of years. It was whoever LeBron's playing for in Golden State, and that was it. And and now you have maybe ten teams, nine teams that can all make a case for being in the NBA Finals, and I think it's great for the league. It'll make the regular season a lot more exciting and a lot more important. Rob, last thing for you, and again, we'll talk college football next week, and I certainly look forward to that. Um, This this line that teams are walking between collecting assets versus being able to actually do something with those assets, is that something that GMs have just become infatuated with? Oh, we've got all these pieces versus actually going out and being able to make moves and do deals? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the way of the NBA right now. You're either a contender or you're a an asset gatherer. <laughs> and that's hmm. kind of where the teams are. And, you know, it's going to be tough. Small market teams like Memphis, like Oklahoma City, they're going to have to draft wisely. They're going to have to draft smart because, again, free agents aren't going to be knocking on their door to, to go play there. They're just not. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. So, you know, they have to do it smart. You know, Boston's a big market, and they got to contend a year ago because of all the assets that they were accumulating through the last few years. Now, right. they've, fall, they've fallen short of their goal of what they wanted to do, but because of the situation that they're in, because they're a big market, they can replace a Kyrie Irving with a Kemba Walker, and they can try and use those assets still to build around that. So they've done it pretty well. It'll be interesting. You know, the Grizzlies, the situation they're in, it's great. It's hopeful. It looks, you know, like a a vision for the future. But if Jaron Jackson and John Morant aren't superstars, it really goes for naught. I mean, you have to be smart, get the right players in the draft. And if you don't, assets really aren't going to mean much. Good info, Rob. Really appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, my man.
You got it, buddy. I'll see you next week. That's Rob Fisher from the Memphis Grizzlies. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Walks down the street, shuffling his feet to Good stuff with Rob Fisher from Memphis Grizzlies Television Network on Fox Sports Southeast talking some NBA offseason stuff. Rippy, I know you were fascinated by the the idea of the whole collecting assets versus actually being able to do stuff with those at- assets. Does what Rob said at the end make sense to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's almost not even as not, that they're not doing stuff with it. It's just they're collecting them with the intention they're not going to use the asset as like it's, it's – well, they're not going to use what it is, like these picks. Like you said earlier, I think when we were t- first talking about it, they're not going to use seven picks. But, like, you don't want to be caught in the middle. Like he said, you're either contending or you want to have a surplus of basically picks or expiring contracts or something. It's kind of fascinating to watch. So I could count it. Yeah. It's almost like like they're all like builders, but they're like they're like the guy that wants enough like wants a surplus of tools instead of actually finishing the project. Hmm. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Like like what does an extra skill saw and two extra air guns do for you or nail guns do for you? Yeah. Like how are you gonna use it or are you gonna trade another guy for more tools instead of uh like trade it in for a bigger, I guess, like power tool instead of like actually using it as intended. Yeah. Do you guys like where the NBA's headed? Um, it's kind of a loaded question, right? Because uh, all of the star movement's a little frustrating to me. I kind of like watching the NFL the last few years. Where has everybody been? Tom Brady's been with the Patriots forever. Drew Brees has been with the Saints forever. Aaron Rodgers has been with Green Bay forever. Your stars don't move very much, and I kind of, I kind of like that. The fact that over half of the All-Star team last year has a new location this year is a little bit difficult to follow. The uh, It's interesting from a content standpoint, like these guys changing teams and all that, but honestly, like one of the best parts about the Warriors is like when Kevin Durant went down, those guys had been together four years, and then they just kind of banded together and mowed through the Blazers. Like if like um, Anthony Davis goes down next year or something, like the Lakers would likely crumble because they've been together four months. And they've got nobody else on roster. To hell with this. Like, so you don't really see that kind of like team building anymore, but I don't know. It's a fun trade off for talking about the NBA 12 months out of the year and who's going to do what. And, and hey, Dad, it's so different than what we grew up watching in the NBA. I mean, Michael Jordan was always a bull, other than the Wizards thing at the end. Dominique was always with the Hawks. Bird was always with the Celtics. The Pistons largely kind of kept their stars together. And that's what teams did. I mean, you know, Clyde made the, the move from Portland to Houston late in his career. But for the most part, in the 80s and 90s, stars stayed put in the NBA, and that is absolutely the exception as opposed to the rule anymore. Yeah, if I'm thinking correctly, I think the first like really big free agent move that I remember was when Charles Barkley went to Phoenix. And, I mean, that was, that was huge. It was seismic. You were just like, oh, my God, Charles Barkley left Philadelphia. And now, like you guys are talking about, it's just – part of business every day for me as a fan of the nba and a fan of the lakers it it doesn't really bother me that much just because i cheer for the team so whoever's on the team i'm going to cheer for i've never been one of those guys that like really you know i'm I'm so bought so much stock into a player you know when kobe was talking about going to the bulls uh after shaq left if he had gone he'd have gone and i I wouldn't i wouldn't have followed him to the Bulls. so for me as a fan it, it, it doesn't really do much for me 
I don't mind people moving, but the whole deal where people are demanding trades like with two and a half years left on a contract, like they probably need to fix that. That's not ideal. Yeah. Well, and not only are they demanding trades, they're getting the trades. Well, yeah, largely. You, you can't have the Anthony Davis situation basically pop up again. It kills the team. So, like, the players have all the power, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but like a contract has to mean something at some point. Like, some guy eventually is going to opt out with, like, four years left. He's going to sign it in five months in and be like, actually, this place sucks, and then try to get out with four years left, and it's going to be like, how does, how does that happen? What does the commissioner do about that? Because I agree with you, by the way. You can't have that. Anthony Davis ruined a season last year. He told the team before the season began, as it turns out, that he was going to request a trade. And so that could have been a playoff team, but they were completely checked out when the ball tipped in the beginning of the season. So how do you how do you stop that? I don't know because it, the other way, like teams trade players all the time. Like they can sign a contract and the right. team can trade you at any point. So I don't know if you like, I don't know if like if you're not allowed to move for the first two years and then there's restrictions. I don't really know how you do it. That's a problem where I'm Silver's, glad I'm not Adam Silver. His big selling point is being all about the players and taking the power away from the players will reflect negatively on his image that he's built for himself. And he's putting out the big fires. They're taking away the term owner, but you know, the oh, yeah, contract Gov- situation's a mess. Shh, don't offend anybody. Governors. Guy's real popular on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he probably doesn't care what people think about him on Twitter. And largely, Adam Silver's tenure as commissioner has been viewed in a really positive light. Um, but at some point, you've got to lead also. I mean, the, the, the people that, that pay Adam Silver. Are the owners, the governors, governors, not the players. Watch it. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> but my point being is, like, if he didn't care what people thought about him on the internet, that he probably wouldn't waste his time with, you know, the term owners. He'd probably actually, like, solve the fact that Paul George left with two and a half years left on a deal. Well, either that or that genuinely was a concern to him. I mean, w- was he making that? decision because he felt like he was getting backlash from other people or did he look at it and go you know what this really is something that we need to worry about i don't who was worried about it like i think i think he was like the only possible way i could think of his big man reddit is gonna love me for this (laughs) it it makes no sense yeah um fascinating times would would the way now contracts Collective bargaining, all of those things are different sport to sport. Would the NFL or Major League Baseball benefit from having a system that is more like the NBA? Would the NBA benefit from having a system that is more like Major League Baseball or the NFL? I mean, the NFL is the one that that seems to be like really trailing in terms of what's good for the players because they don't do guaranteed contracts and the owners have this like ultimate authority, and so does the commissioner. And then baseball feels like it's kind of somewhere in between. I just don't think the NFL cares because they're so powerful. I mean, they own the day of the week that people go to church. Like, they they don't really necessarily care. They're going to make billions upon billions no matter what they do. Yeah. This uh, Melvin Gordon thing's fascinating, though, with the NFL. The whole what do we out? got? Uh, he's he's going to hold out because he wants big-time money, and the running back position just doesn't command that anymore, even though he's a great one. His wins above replacement – Alvin Kamara right now is like the only running back that has a positive WAR if you want to use the baseball stat for the NFL. Running backs are just not valuable anymore, so he's going to try to hold out, and if he doesn't get his contract, he's going to demand a trade. But 
nobody who's going to want to pay him that kind of money to play a position where you're gone in two, three years and you don't really help us win anymore. And that's kind of the probably the perfect example of like how the NBA and the NFL are so different now in terms of player empowerment. Because what, Le'Veon Bell's a top 20 player in the NFL? 25-ish? What like in what world would Chris Paul hold out and be like sit out the season because literally like they would call his bluff and nobody would sign him like that would never happen. You could do that with like Tobias Harris and that would never happen. But Le'Veon Bell, top you know three running back, they're like, oh, we don't really need you. Hey, Dad, do you buy into the idea that the uh, the running back position is not valuable? It's it's valuable if you have the right guy. You know, Kamara's valuable to the Saints, but it's because he can do a lot more than just take the ball up the middle. Um, a running back like Le'Veon Bell, as good as he is, you know, honestly, there, there's lots of guys like that out there, and NFL offenses aren't really looking for that guy anymore. You know, the the, the guy of the three yards and a cloud of dust style is 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 no longer really in fashion. And, and they the, can get that for cheap too. Yeah, yeah. And the shelf life is too short. They Ramson Gurley to that huge deal, and now he's got like the same injury as the guy like hobbling to his golf cart after hitting a tee shot. He's got arthritis in his knee, like. You just never know. What running back is most important to his team in the NFL right now? Is it Ezekiel Elliott? Probably, yeah. And then if the Saints want to meet their goals, it Camaro would be too. The Giants need Saquon Barkley to be that valuable. They do, but they've got a lot more problems than him, unfortunately. All right, well, he's not a problem, but you know what I mean. When you look at top running back contracts, you're talking about Todd Gurley. Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson with the Cardinals, Devontae Freeman with the Falcons. I mean, are, are those last two names? I mean, you, obviously you know Devontae Freeman's name with the Falcons. He's got a ton of money in his contract. How valuable is he? Is it good for the Cardinals to have $39 million tied up at the running back position? At least with the Giants, you're talking about a rookie deal with Saquon Barkley, not a big right. second deal. Yeah, that's not good for the Cardinals at all. I mean, Leonard, Leonard Fournette, who knows what the Jags are going to get out of him. Again, still on his rookie deal. And we'll see what happens with Ezekiel Elliott. We talk about Dak Prescott getting paid, but you've also heard that the Cowboys want to not only get the deal done with Prescott, but they want to get a deal done with Ezekiel Elliott. What's that going to look like? Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm and the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Continue to work on this all-time, all-Mississippi college football team. We have gotten quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers done on the offensive side of the ball. We've still got to put a couple of tight ends on the list. And we've got to try and put together an offensive line. And I don't think there's any way to vote on the offensive line, at least not in a way that is efficient at all. So, hey, Ten polls. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that. We have 30 people that vote in each poll, right? Are we doing specialists? Yeah. We'll do a kicker and a punter. Well, I already know who the punter is, so. Yes, I do, too. I yeah, mean, you, very you're, simple. You're, you're playing for the backup, right? Yeah. Um, Will Gleason. No. No. Ray Guy was one of a kind, wasn't he? The man. Unbelievable. And people tell you, you know, one of the most athletic people that's ever stepped on campus. 
at uh, at Southern Miss. Um, hey, Dad, when when I mention offensive linemen to you mm-hmm. with regard to Mississippi State, I was a little surprised in looking. Mississippi State's had a total of thirty eight All Americans. They've only had two consensus consensus All Americans. One of those came in two thousand with Fred Smoot. And the other, I had it pulled up a second ago. I think it was in the mid-70s. And frankly, it wasn't a name that I recognized. It was, uh, oh, goodness, uh, Jimmy Webb, defensive lineman in 1974. So maybe we'll get to him on the defensive side of the ball. When I think offensive line at Mississippi State, I think Kent Hull first and foremost. And it's partly, maybe even largely, because of his professional career, and that's not what this is about. Who are the other names that kind of immediately pop to mind for you in terms of offensive linemen? Just in the more modern era, Gabe Jackson, uh, Derek Sherrod was an All-American at Mississippi State. Um, trying to think about some Porkchop Womack. Okay. Randy Thomas would be one. Um, you, you mentioned Ken Hall, obviously. Um, Ricky Bird in the '80s was really, really good. I'm trying to think of Jackie's first couple of teams. You know, he had those massive offensive lines. Uh, his first few years at Mississippi State, and John James would have been a guy who was an All SEC guy, not an All American though. Just, just for yeah. me, if you said list the top ones, Sherrod is going to be there. Just cause he was, like I said, he was an All American and an All SEC guy and a first round pick. Um, Ken Hall, who, like you mentioned, his college career. Was definitely overshadowed by his pro career. It was was not the did not have the uh, the accolades. In fact, Wayne Harris was the the more uh, uh, honored guy. He was I think the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Year, won the Jacobs Award uh, his senior year, and in, in he was he played for Ballard in the early '80s. So a lot of a lot of good guys to choose from there. But but Hull is probably the guy who stands out. But like you said, I think it's more about his pro career than anything else. Yeah, I was kind of going through the list of all Americans from Ole Miss, and, and I know we talk about, okay, do, do skill sets from different generations translate, but when you look at, uh, use this as an example, 1966-1967, Jim Urbanic was a two-time All-American. You know, if you're a lineman and it's an All-American in consecutive years, then that says something to me. Um Jim Dunaway in 1962 was a consensus All-American. He was named All-American by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, I think 11 different entities that put out All-American teams were there. Michael Orr was a consensus All-American in, in 2008. And it's almost like you say Michael Orr's name and people go, uh, blindside, uh, you know, the, the, people almost chuckle about it. And I think we forget just how good he was playing that position at Ole Miss and then translating and moving on to the NFL. Well, yeah, because he tested 98% in protective instincts. That's good, right? <laughs> oh, you don't get it. Have you ever Wait. actually seen that movie, Richard? That's from the blind yeah. side. Yeah, yes, Sandra I've Bullock watched the movie. At... I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched the movie, I think, once. And yes, I read the book, but it's not like something... That That's not one where quotes just stand out to me. Should they? Just the sheer ridiculousness, ridiculousness of that scene is why that stands out to me. Yeah. Everett Lindsay's a name that I think probably deserves to be on the list. He was a an All-American guard in 1991, an All-American tackle in 1992. 
And you know what? I, I said that about Jim Urbanic. He's just listed as tackle. I actually think Urbanic played on the defensive line as opposed to the offensive line. So maybe off on him. Everett Lindsey, uh, a yeah. name that pops up from uh, early 90s at Ole Miss. I'll give you and two Rebels that uh, – that and two about two different eras of football, but trying to compare them. But, I mean, Bruiser Kennard. That's a guy, you know, as, as a, I think, again, listed as a tackle. So maybe he was, I, I don't know if he was defensive or offensive, but I mean, that is, that's the guy at Ole Miss when you, when you want to talk about the, like the beginnings of Ole Miss football. Sort of starts with him. And then Laramie yeah. Tunsil. Or Jeremy Tinsel, as uh, Houston Nutt calls him. <laughs> Does Houston Nutt call him Jeremy Tinsel? He did that on a CBS halftime show one time, called him Jeremy Tinsel. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Tinsel definitely should have a place on, uh, on this list. I think list. Jeremy Tinsel. Definitely belongs on the team, yes. Sports Talk Mississippi. Just after 4 o'clock with you, Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they've been doing for, oh, a little over 100 years. Uh, taking care of the needs of farmers, taking care of the needs of people in North Mississippi that want to build a house in the country. Maybe it's a recreational piece of property that you want to buy. At Mississippi Land Bank, they understand what it takes to get those deals done, and they will help you get them done. They'll help you find that piece of property and uh, also get the financing or refinancing done on it. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Good to be with you this afternoon. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. John and Hurley, we were talking about offensive linemen a moment ago. John and Hurley says that Jim Dunaway played on the uh, perfect undefeated Miami Dolphins team. Wait, there was some. I didn't know that anybody on that team existed outside of Mercury Morris. <laughs> I thought he was the only player that was actually on that team. No, kidding. Played all twenty-two. Uh, John in Greenwood says the Blind Side was as realistic as Avatar when it comes to the actual events of the story. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that a high school football coach didn't take a phone call in the middle of a game to be reminded about the ninety-eight percent protective instincts? No. Yeah. Well, we have seen coaches use their phone during games. Yeah. Um, I guess that's baseball. true. They, uh, wow. I don't know. I thought, uh, I thought they portrayed uh, Ed Orgeron and uh, Lou Holtz pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, what was it, Nick Saban that uh, commented on the curtains when he walked in? Is that is that who it was? How do you oh, remember like stuff like that, but not the line that Borky Yeah, you dropped. didn't remember 98% protective instincts, but you remember Nick Saban's curtain Beca- compliment. Because the, the coach clips have been replayed a thousand times, even if you don't sit down and watch the movie 15 times and memorize it. What do you think the first thing Nick Saban says to a family when he walks into their house? Outside of the pleasantries, like, hey, how are you? What's the first thing he brings up? First may, thing he says. You may have seen me on the blind side. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what a recruiting visit from uh, Nick Saban looks like. My my guess is that that wasn't um, me at the bagel shop. Hmm. Jeez. Wow. wow. 
Uh, he's not five feet tall. <laughs> he's short. He's short, though. He is. Uh, he is that. I mean, what what do you think it is with that? That's a good question, Borky. I mean, my guess is pleasantries when he walks in the door, and something tells me that um, Nick Saban has already identified who in the family he needs to make nice with, and he immediately gravitates to that person. If it's a mom, if it's a grandmother, if it's a dad, my, my guess is that, that that's where the pleasantries go until they sit down and really start talking about his plan for the student-athlete. See, I was kind of hoping it'd be some kind of swagger, like, you want to win? I'll tell you how you can win, or something like that. Just fire away, like, no messing around with Nick Saban. Hey, you want to win championships? Look at these rings I've got. Something strong and assertive like that. I don't know. I think he schmoozes. I just don't know. Um, yeah, like, Paul says that he believes it was Valance's, not Curtin's. I think you're probably right. David, this isn't how it gets done, but this cracked me up anyway. David said, how much? He's <laughs> <laughs> got a point. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe there's something to that. Saban's Hoping too to smart with... to be caught on a federal wiretap. You know what I mean? He, he, he doesn't play that himself. But if well, you're caught you... on a federal... Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. But like... I don't think he could snuff out the wiretap in live action. He just probably assumes he's being tapped at all times. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit smarter than that. Well, one-on-one conversations feel safer than phone conversations. Right, yeah. Uh, hoping to visit with John Cohen. have not been able to connect with him. Uh, yesterday it was our fault. Not sure what's going on today, so uh, maybe that'll happen at some point soon. I-, I don't know that we can put this off any longer. Over 400,000 people have committed to a Facebook event pledging to, quote, Storm Area 51, close quote, this September, in an effort to, as it says on the Facebook page, see them aliens. (laughs) Does it say them? Yes. It says to see them aliens. That makes me happy. As of Friday, 416,000 people were listed as going to the planned event, which organizers say will take place on the 20th of September at 3 a.m. An additional 428,000 people are listed as interested. Attended, uh, uh, apparently, attendees are going to meet at a nearby tourist attraction where they will coordinate their entry. All right, Borky, I'm not familiar with the uh, Japanese comic book character known for his speed, but they say if we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets. Do I strike you as a guy that knows what Naruto is? I don't understand any of this. Again, the quote, let's see them aliens. Yeah, they want to see the aliens. Yeah. There have been 21,000 posts inside the events page on Facebook. With some Facebook users posting game plans for how the siege would go down, including formations and rock throwers. There is one user who perhaps has a brain, who doesn't want to go to jail, who has put a disclaimer. He put in the uh, the file, Hello, U.S. government, this is a joke, and I do not actually intend to go ahead with this plan. I just thought it would be funny and get me some thumbsy-uppies on the Internet. I'm not responsible if people decide to actually storm Area 51. 
It, what am I missing? What is Storm Area like? Fifty. Like they they want to get as many people as possible to just run at the gates because their theory is they can't kill us all. So somebody will get in to see what actually is going on there. If you get anywhere close to Area Fifty One, you you're warned. But if you get past a certain point, you're shot on sight. It happened to a guy in January. If you cross a certain point to where you can even see like the outskirts of the facility, they just kill you. And that's what happens to you. So their theory is, if we get enough of us and we all run at it at the same time, they're not going to kill all of us and somebody will get to get in to see what's going on in there. Area 51 is located in the southern portion of Nevada, 83 miles north-northwest of Las Vegas, situated at its center on the southern shore of Groom Lake is a large military airfield. The site was acquired by the United States Air Force in 1955, primarily for flight testing of the Lockheed U-2 aircraft. The area around Area 51, including the small town of Rachel, Nevada, is on the extraterrestrial highway. It's a popular tourist destination. So it's a U.S. Air Force facility, highly classified, a remote detachment of Edwards Air Force Base. According to the CIA, the correct name for the facility is Homey Airport and Groom Lake, though the name Area 51 was used in a CIA document from the Vietnam War. They it's also fly been referred their... to as Dreamland and Paradise Ranch. They fly their employees into work every day. So you, you don't drive to work if you work there. You get on a, an unmarked airplane and fly. Plane or helicopter? Airplane. Really? And they fly you into the facility on an unmarked airplane out of Las Vegas. Is this where the nukes are? People think this is where the aliens are. Why would you keep the aliens there? You could make so much money with like in a zoo or something. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think aliens are in there, but I, I would imagine some pretty weird stuff is in there. It wouldn't make sense to keep aliens in there. Well, the 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 sensical theory is that our military is working on specifically aircraft and stuff that either is undetectable by radar or is propelled by like new technology that we don't want anybody else in the world, even our country, to know exists, and so that's why UFO sightings happen is because they are testing these new government military type things at this facility and so people automatically think it's aliens when in reality we're just protecting our new assets wikipedia tells us that the intense secrecy surrounding the base has made it the frequent subject of conspiracy theories and a central component to unidentified flying object folklore well, I mean, it's not nothing if they're willing to shoot you within... You shoot on sight. Guy died in January because he just went a little too far. And they just killed him. And that's it. Is that legal? It is. There. I mean, it's the government doing it, right? Because of a uh, FOIA request filed in 2005, the CIA publicly acknowledged the existence of the base for the first time, declassifying documents detailing the history and purpose of Area 51. Got a message on the C Spire text line that I can only assume was in this voice. It said... E.T. Phone Home. <laughs> I wonder what they feed it. Perfect. Walker and Willis. 
sing me their Texas Digging the buffet on this Friday afternoon. Glad to be along with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We are counting you down to the start of the college football season. We're doing 100 teams in 100 days. Yesterday we hit the halfway mark. Today, team number 50 on the countdown. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. That the Syracuse Orange went ten and three last year. Team number fifty out of the ACC on the countdown. Syracuse. Dino Babers going into year number four with the Orange. Ten and three last year. Wrap the season up with a win in the Camping World Bowl over West Virginia, 34-18. Four straight bowl wins for Syracuse. Only two of them under, well, only one under Dino Babers. So last year was year number three. It was the first year they made a bowl game. So in year one under Babers, 2016, they went 4-8. Followed it up with 4-8 in 2017. Jumped to 10-3 last year. The only three losses, really pretty darn impressive. 27-23 at Clemson, 44-37 in overtime at Pittsburgh, and that was in back-to-back weeks. Then they reeled off four in a row against North Carolina, NC State, Wake Forest, and Louisville before getting really thumped by Notre Dame. That was the only game that wasn't close all year for Syracuse last year, 36-3. That was a good football team. And they had a really good quarterback. Now, he's not coming back. They've got a new quarterback this year. Eric Dungy last year completed 61% of his passes, threw for almost 3,000 yards. They did not have a 1,000-yard rusher. I've, I've asked this question a lot, so I'll ask you guys right now. When you think of Syracuse football, what do you think of? Also worth mentioning in that Syracuse game, Dungy, uh, I think he got hurt very early on. He only completed one pass in four attempts. In the game against Notre Dame? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a difference. What do I think of? I think they share a... I always think of them sharing an arena with the basketball team. You don't really see that. No. No, you don't. And and lead the country every year in basketball attendance. They um, play in the Carrier Dome. 49,262 for football. They average about 32,000 for uh, basketball in the, the same building. I still think Big East days and Donovan McNabb. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Um, Syracuse and the ACC, I mean, I get it in basketball, and I'm used to that, but they still feel like the old Big East, whether they should or they don't to me. So, um, Who's the Duke guy that quit basketball to go play football there? Remember he played quarterback for years? Greg Paulus. Yeah. That's right. That's what Did comes he quit? to mind. Did he quit, or did he have a no, year of eligibility transferred. left? Yeah, he was out of basketball eligibility, but he, he still had some football eligibility. Okay. Clemson is everybody's pick to win the ACC and win the Atlantic Division. There are a lot of people that like Syracuse and have them as the second team. Some like Florida State, some like NC State. But 
And maybe the question on it should be, how good is Dino Babers? He's a really good coach, and this this is probably this could be his last year at Syracuse if, if the right job opens up for him. But he, he's he's done a fantastic job there, and and I'm not really surprised because you know I knew he was going to be successful. He he was what Bowling Green before that, and yeah, I mean he's just a good coach. He, he's it's funny like his offense is just good. It, it doesn't have like a gimmick to it. it it's it's just, it's just they just execute really really well. Wonder what the right job for him is. Let's see what happens if Michigan Syracuse might tell you it's Syracuse, <laughs> and yeah. they would hope. I wonder if they have the the capital to keep him. Well, I mean they're an ACC school. They're a money right. school. But... Purdue's paying their football coach like five million. I've gotten to the point where I think every school has the capital now if they really want to. That's a good point. Dino Baber's one of those guys that absolutely paid his dues to get where he's getting. He was a GA at Hawaii a GA at Arizona State, and then was an assistant coach from 1987 all the way through 2011. Eastern Illinois, UNLV, Northern Arizona, Purdue, San Diego State, three different positions at Arizona, Texas A&M, Pittsburgh, three different assistant coaching positions at UCLA, a couple of different roles at Baylor before finally getting the opportunity to be a head coach. Two seasons at Eastern Illinois. They went 7-5, and 12-2. and two and got into the FCS playoffs both times. Two seasons at Bowling Green, went 8-6, and 10-3, and three, got to bowl games both times, and won their division in the, of the MAC both times, and now three years at, uh, at Syracuse. And there were some that might have seen back-to-back four and eight seasons and kind of questioned where it was headed, but, I mean, this guy, he, he didn't exactly inherit a great team when he came into Syracuse, they'd gone three and nine, four and eight in the two seasons prior to uh, Dino Babers uh, arriving. Hey, hey, Dad, if you're doing famous alumni from Syracuse, and I tell you there cannot be any sports personalities, oh, well, I'll take Bob Costas off the list. Yes, and basically everybody else not named Richard Cross that works at or for ESPN. <laughs> well, then let's go with uh, Dick Clark, Jerry oh. Stiller. And Ted Koppel. Ted Koppel. And I had some other options there too. There's, there's, a, they got a lot. Give me some others. Uh, let's see here. Tay Diggs. Luke, Tay Diggs. Vanessa Williams. Aaron Sorkin. Uh, Lou Reed. Hollywood type. Uh, Megan Kelly. Boy, her fame fell off, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Didn't go well. Peter Falk. Columbo. Um, Al Davis. actor Tom Everett Scott. Does Marv Albert work for uh, for ESPN? Uh, no, he's Why does it more list on Shaq? the uh, TNT side of things. Why is Shaquille O'Neal listed? I got to know more about this. Yeah, I don't know. Pretty That's... sure he's an LSU alum. <laughs> I think he is. Doesn't he have a doctorate? Isn't he Dr. Shaq? Big Aristotle? Yeah, the, the doctorate may have been honorary. I don't, maybe it was real. I don't know. But, They're I mean, the whole real. sports... That's Say very what? random. They're all real. Yes. I they should hand out doctorate degrees. <laughs> and uh, It yes. takes one to know one there. So the list of sportscasters is pretty long oh, and Joe distinguished. Biden. Obviously, you got Bob Costas that um, hey Dad mentioned just a second ago. Uh, Mike Tirico. Um, I an Eagle who I think is underrated as one of the best sportscasters in the country, Sean McDonough, 
I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And Marv Albert, who you mentioned a second ago, yes! I don't know if that was a good Marv Albert or not. It was, it was, it was not bad. Um, how good is Syracuse going to be this year? Six starters they, returning on the offensive side, seven returning on the defensive side, replacing their quarterback, who was second on the team in rushing and obviously a pretty good and efficient passer, with Tommy DeVito coming in as the uh, quarterback this year. They have an opportunity to be the ACC team that gets into one of the access bowls. You know, think so? The, the, whatever spot that Clemson leaves behind, I guess that's like the Orange Bowl, they have a chance to get there. I wonder if Tommy DeVito comes from an organized crime family. Jeez. Does he look like a bomb-making person, Richard? My God. No, I'm just going with the last name. Maybe he comes from an acting family. Yeah, he's too tall for that. <laughs> Danny DeVito was just the uh, left over. Oh, that's a good reference. I wonder how people will catch that one. Thanks. I appreciate that. I got that one. Twins. What a great movie that was. That's hilarious, yeah. Well, I don't know if it was a great movie. I probably, it's a good movie. should not be quite so loose with using the term great and throwing that around. So Syracuse uh, team number 50 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Let's just stick with the ACC for a second. Is Florida State going to be any better? That's a million. That's Well, I don't know what Willie Tacker's buyout is, but that's however much that is question. He's had a jump year too, pretty much everywhere he's gone. That's true. They were five and seven last year. There are a lot of people that are picking Florida State second in the Atlantic Division in the ACC. I don't know about that. Um, does Miami bounce back and win the division in year one of Manny Diaz as the head coach? Maybe. Yeah, outside, you say of, maybe? outside of Clemson, and, and like I said, I think Syracuse is the second best team in that conference, but then everything else is just sort of a mishmash of yeah. good to not good. This feels like a little bit of a down year for the ACC. Yeah. Sports Talk, Mississippi. That's part of the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Only time will tell. Sports Talk, Mississippi, Friday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Rain in the forecast. So prepare accordingly, whatever that means. Just get an umbrella handy or just plan to get wet when you do whatever you want to do this weekend outside. Some places on the coast might be having to do the sandbag route. Sandbags, boats, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, mean, it feels like it would just be wasting air to say, if you're on the coast, heads up. But I I think everybody at this point knows. Now, from, from a storm standpoint, we're not looking at like big worry, right? From no, I mean it, damage from wind. I mean this is a this is a water event, not necessarily a, a wind event. Not yeah. not that there won't be some wind, but, but it's the concern water. is flooding, right? Right, and because yeah, you've got it all through the delta still right now, and then if you're, you know, a fan of the city of New Orleans, New Orleans might be in trouble as well. But that's all it is. I mean, it's it'll make landfall as a category one, and then immediately start weakening. And then just dump a bunch of rain on the rest of us. Looking at the uh, most recent track from, looks like the Weather Channel. They've got it making landfall on Saturday morning um, to the west of New Orleans. 
Is that right? Yeah, it keeps pushing west, which is a good sign for for them, but it'll still dump water all over the place. Yeah, but the, isn't it the eastern side of the storm that's the the part that's kind of cra- causes the most trouble? Mm-hmm. Mm. Potential for New Orleans to see over ten inches of rain. Obviously, concerns about the levees, but uh, really, if you're pretty much anywhere in the southeast, you got rain to worry about for the uh, the coming days. So, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, southeastern Arkansas, western Tennessee, gonna have a lot of rain. And let I think most uh, projections now have Barry actually making landfall at about seventy five miles an hour. That would be a tropical storm, right? Or is that hurricane force? Well, I, I was watching a, a broadcast right before the show started, and they said it will make landfall as a one, that it was it was strengthening. So maybe it's changed, but that's what the, yeah. the weather guy said on TV. So Category 1, 74 to 95 miles an hour. Then you start bumping up from there. Category 2, 96 to 110. 111 to 129 for Category 3. Category 4, 130 to 156. So... Um, Looking at the uh, a category one, either category one tornado or excuse me hurricane or a, uh, a tropical storm when it makes land, uh, looks like tomorrow morning. So uh, prepare accordingly. It's going to uh, going to be a mess in uh, the coast and then kind of making its way up. And Borky, you said it a second ago. I mean, it's a it, all the water in the delta. I mean, we had so much rain in the spring. I mean, look, we're we're all the way in north central Mississippi, but kind of an indicator of what you've got south of where we are. I mean, Sardis Lake is a it's a Army Corps of Engineers lake. It's a flood control lake. But we're used to having beaches in the, the summertime. We're nowhere close to having a beach this year. Water higher uh, at this point than I ever remember it at this point of the summer. Uh, and that kind of gives you an indication that they haven't been able to open the spillway and let the water out and let it flow downstream because the upper Midwest and the lower Midwest and the Delta and everybody has had tons and tons and tons of water, and it's all got to go somewhere. And now at this time of year, you're getting more water on top of all of it, so a uh, little bit of a mess for uh, for everybody. Um. All right, this happened a couple of days ago, Wednesday night. In the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball, their all-star game, automated strike zone. Borky, this is what you want. You got it. Tell me more. And it worked. It was an independent league all-star game, and the way they did it was they used a Doppler system. And the track do- man. A track man. And they adjusted the strike zone for the, the size of the player. So it wasn't a universal strike zone. It was adjusted based on... Uh, on the player's height, and there was a guy that radioed in ball and strike to the umpire, so the calls were slightly delayed. Apparently, if you were in the uh, in uh, in attendance, you couldn't tell that there was a delay. There was one time where it took them a little bit to determine a ball or a strike, but otherwise, the game went as smoothly as a regular baseball game because of how quick. Because the second the pitch hits the mitt, it pops up on the track man, and the guys on the radio to the umpire ball strike, and the umpire makes his call. So it went it went fluid. The pitchers were complaining about up in the zone and down in the zone that they were getting more uh, more strike calls or I guess the batters were complaining, not the pitchers, but they were getting more strike calls on lower and higher pitches than they usually get because the zone is actually a little bit bigger than they're used to getting called by the umpires. Otherwise, 
logistically, it worked just fine. Didn't slow the game down. It went smoothly, and they even allowed the umpire to still do their theatrical uh, balls and strike call uh, just to keep that part within the game. You could not tell unless you knew that they were using an automated strike zone in the game. The strike zone as it is defined and the strike zone as it is called are entirely different. Rule 2.0 of the Major League Baseball rule book defines a strike zone as the area over home plate, the upper limit of which is a horizontal line at the midpoint between the top of the shoulders and the top of the uniform pants. And the lower level is the line at the hollow beneath the kneecap. So from just below the kneecap to basically your armpits. When's the last time you saw a strike call at the armpits in the big league level? When an umpire wanted to show up a hitter? Yeah. That I mean, was... basic, the, the, the strike zone vertically is like the bottom of the belt buckle to a couple of inches below the knees. And I would say that major league umpires are pretty consistent in and out. I mean, you have some guys that give you more in or more out. College umpires pretty egregious sometimes with in and out on the strike zone. But the up-down thing, I would think that pitchers would be like jumping for joy if this turns out to be something that goes forward and we use the strike zone as it is defined to be the strike zone for an automated uh, calling system? I think the majors would adjust that, wouldn't they, though? You think they'd make it smaller? They'd make it smaller, I think. I don't really buy this. I think I don't think they'll ever go to electronic strike zones. Just get Angel Hernandez and uh, <laughs> and Joe West like all Joe West. Yeah, like there's so many good umpires, <laughs> but you only talk about the bad ones. Well, because yeah. the bad ones actually affect games, and that's unacceptable. Yeah, but like I don't think a robot as a strike zone is going to help much of that because the umpires will still be there. But they can't. They 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 can't call a bad game. The game's called for them. True. And, and with the fact that you've already got reviews on plays that are in the field, I mean, the, the only thing that I mean, not the only thing that's not reviewable, but the biggest bone of contention is the strike zone, as it's called by different umpires. And so, if you went to a universal automated strike zone with technology that was legit. You kind of would take the beef out of the game between coaches and umpires, wouldn't you? I mean, they can't it's just they can't argue it anymore. It's inarguable. Well, and you can't argue balls and strikes as it is. I mean, that's probably what leads to more objections than anything else. But if you get a close play in the field, we review it. I mean, there there are not many errors that are made beyond balls and strikes by umpires in Major League Baseball and frankly in college baseball for the most part that are not reviewable and are not overturned with, with video replay. And most of the time they get it right anyway, right? Uh, they do. Yeah, yeah, overwhelmingly. Hey, Dad, do you like this? Love it. Big fan of it. You know you, you know me, I'm the, the resident guy who, who gripes about officiating. Anything that can be done to make it more efficient, more uniform, more by the book, I am all 100% for it. Rippy, I tend to agree with you that I don't think that we end up here in Major League Baseball 
and I've kind of been an opponent of the idea of an automated strike zone, the more you think about it, the more it kind of makes sense. If indeed you want to get it right. Yeah, I'll just be interested to see how it tracks breaking balls and stuff and how that actually, like, where it crosses the plate as opposed to hitting the guy's mitt. I don't think it'll, uh, I don't think this ever sticks in Major League Baseball. Could be wrong. Well, but the K zone stuff you see. I mean, do they really have the power to argue it? Well, I don't know, man, but they have a union. So, I mean, I assume they, they would, you know, if there was something that was going to, you know, possibly affect their ability to, you know, have jobs and get paid, that uh, they would step in and say something. They yeah, st- Angel Hernandez has sued his employer. He would not mind suing a robot. But they still get to do their job, though. Maybe they're a little less valuable, but they're still on the field making every call and determining whether a guy went on a check swing and calling outs and keeping the game on pace. I mean, there's still value with the way they do this. There's still value there. I guess, but if you go to replay, not really. Yeah, but they've still got to make the calls in real time. You get a robot to do that. told whether or not it's a ball or a strike. We may have to put um, the large dog on the payroll. He has really been into this all-time Mississippi team and has built some cool graphics uh, kind of as we have put people in place. We were talking about offensive linemen earlier. See what you think about this list, guys. He's just got some names for us to look at for the all-time offensive lineman group. He goes left to right, tackle guard, center guard, tackle. So left tackle, Jackie Slater, yes, please. Laramie Tunsil, Michael Orr, Derek Sherrod. Left guard, Gabe Jackson, Terrence Metcalf. Metcalf played both guard and tackle in college. Center, Kent Hall, Chris Spencer. Guards, John Jerry, Randy Thomas. And the tackles, Jim Dunaway, who we talked earlier about, Porkchop Womack, Tom Funchess, and Stan Heinemann. That's a really good group that KT Vanderlip put together on Twitter. Yeah, a really good group. If Look you had to cut two from position. this list, what would you cut? I mean, <laughs> who am I cutting at left tackle? Wait, you've got to cut four Americans. from this list. Well, I mean, yeah, you got to cut. He's got four tackles on both sides. Uh, Jackie Slater's not getting cut. No. So your question is Tunsil or or Sherrod for the third? Was Tunsil an All American? I'm pretty sure he was. Probably not. But he... I lean in the direction of Michael Orr at that left tackle spot over Tunsil. Tunsil. You guys disagree? Well, hold on. I know. I just want to see. I just. Uh... Laramie okay. Tunsil was Tunsil on a was planet of his own. And the fact that he wasn't an All-American just shows you how much of a joke that it is. He was he the best offensive a, tackle in the country. He never won SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week either. Well, he also didn't play in, what, seven games his junior year? I mean, it's kind of hard yeah, to name that an All-American when he plays in five or six games. His sophomore year, he was an All-American, though. Yeah, I think you might have to go with Ower 
as you know, unanimous All-American, Jacobs Award winner. If you were, yeah. and I guess maybe this isn't our criteria, but if you were an NFL team and you needed a left tackle and you had prime Laramie Tunsil and prime Michael Ower coming out of college, which one would you have selected? Tunsil, 11 times out of 10. These awards are a crock. Where was Michael Orr drafted? He was 23rd overall to the Panthers. So even falling as tumultuously as he did... He's going to be the number one overall pick. Tunsil was taken higher than Michael Orr was taken. Yeah. And he would have been, at worst, number four if the Giants had anybody with a brain in their front office. But gas masks and whatnot. Oh, yeah. He smoked a little weed in college and, oh, no, can't get him. We'll take a defensive back who didn't work out instead. And now we have a quarterback, an old quarterback that gets beat up every week. That's great. Pretty unprecedented in the NFL, a kid that did marijuana. (laughs) Stay so so, so I hear you guys. I hear you guys saying clearly Laramie Tunsil as the second to tackle there on the left side. Willing to hear an argument to the contrary, though. What about over on the right side? Jim Dunaway, who we talked about, was a consensus All-American and a two-time All-American, I believe. Porkchop Womack. Pretty good with those two. Now, I, I admittedly don't know a lot about Tom Funches or Stan Heinemann. Stan Heinemann played in the 60s at Ole Miss, I believe. Um, so how do you do eras with offensive linemen? Because you can't with skill positions; it's a little bit different because they weren't used as much. But the the physicality and the size and the skill of offensive linemen now versus in the '60s is so dramatically different. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think you just got to take that into account. It's like we've been and saying, just, you know, you got how were they received by their peers? If you were an All-American, you were an All-American. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that, though, because, again, the words don't actually mean anything. Yeah, Larry yeah, Johnson never won All-American. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I understand what you're saying there, but when you take a guy who was named to 11 different All-American teams in the exact same year... Why are there 11 then, different All-American teams? Because, because the media needs something. Exactly. So yeah, why, why there is there any 14... stock put in that? That's just how the game. I mean, there were like 14 different national champions that were crowned every year in the 60s. It's kind of proven underscoring my point. That doesn't make them useless. I mean, yes, AP was at the top of the list. UPI doesn't exist anymore, but UPI used to be a really big deal. I mean, hell, New York Times barely exists today. That would have seemed like crazy a decade ago. That was not necessarily a failing New York Times reference. Well, I got called Trump yesterday, so I got called go. a snowflake today. <laughs> Said as long as you didn't skip class when Trump got elected, as if I needed an excuse to skip class. <laughs> Jamie in Oxford on the ceasefire text line has uh, sent a screenshot of uh, Rippy with the caption: "Witness Brian Rippy sees alien land in Area 51." Oh, that is me. Wait for it. Wait for it. Here it is. Welcome to the weekend. Just after 5 o'clock, Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Got the whole crew on this Friday as we get set 
to uh, head to Hoover for SEC Media Days next week. We will be there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Glad to be along with you this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. See, if, 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 just think about this. If two, three months ago, you had taken us up on the whole, let's use Mississippi Land Bank, and you had bought a nice little piece of property just outside town a little bit out in the country, as you wrap up on this Friday afternoon, grab your wife and the kids or nobody at all, maybe your buddies, sneak on out to your place, unlock that padlock on the gate, get in there. Maybe you've got a small little shop. You can throw some burgers on the grill and just hang out. Just decompress for the weekend. How good does that sound? Maybe you've got a spot where you can wet your hook. Maybe you know it's going to rain this weekend and you got to take care of a little bit of stuff and you just hang out and watch it rain. It sounds really relaxing. Mississippi Land Bank can help you with that, but then they can also help you if you're a farmer or you're building a house in the country. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Sounds pretty good, though, doesn't it, Borky? Yeah, I would love, especially with all the rain we're getting this weekend, sit under like a tin roof. Yes, sir. And just watch the rain, kick my feet up, have a beer. Sounds like a Not going to be day. nearly as hot this weekend. I mean, that's the, the good part of all the rain. Oh, the temperatures will drop in the 70s for the first time in weeks. That'd be great for a day. I hope it doesn't rain. Buddy, I got some bad news for you. (laughs) Yeah. I hope I'm a billionaire when I come back on the show on Monday, too, Rippy. rain late on Sunday. That'd be cool. You're feeling good about that or not so much? Uh, I don't know. Is this an actual tournament or just you're just playing golf? No, it's a tournament. Okay. What's the format? It's a good question. Like you have no it's idea. like a, I think it's some kind of like modified four ball. I don't know. It's one of those things where they just need an extra person, so I'm there. I got you. Good good golf course? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Nice. I like it. Yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. I'm just wishful thinking at this point. It's not gonna rain. It's a mentality. Time right now for the college football fix. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Plus, it's the Hurry Up and Save sales event. But time is running out for you to save on the F-150 or the Explorer or the Expedition. Stop by and test drive one Ford, that is, at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. All right, Borky, walk me through this. This is Barrett Salee. He does this every year, the CBS Sports story, the hype meter for the SEC. Yeah, so what he does, it's a very simple uh, thing. So he looks at the SEC since expansion and looks at where the media picks teams to finish. And if they finish in the same place, in the exact same number, so if Ole Miss, for example, was picked to finish third in the West and they finished third, well, they get zero points. If they finish second, they get plus one. If they finish fourth, they get minus one. And he totaled them all up and decided what teams have received the most hype, the about equal, and then the least amount in relative in relation to where they finish. 
the most overperforming team in relation to where they are picked on a year-in, year-out basis. This is since expansion when uh, Texas A&M and Missouri came into the league. The Mississippi State Bulldogs, cumulatively, they have finished nine spots ahead of where they have been picked by the media. On average, 1.29 spots ahead of where they're picked each year. Hey, Dad, Mississippi State is going to be picked what? I would say fifth, fifth this year. Fifth this year? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've kind of been doing this long enough to know that here's here's how the West is going to be picked. Mm-hmm. And I might be off on one team, but I don't think I'll be off by much. It's going to be Alabama 1, mm-hmm. LSU 2, mm-hmm. probably Auburn 3, A&M 4, Mississippi State 5, Ole Miss 6, and Arkansas 7. I would flip A and M and Auburn, but yeah, that's probably maybe. Right. But you got to think you're going to have more Auburn people there than that's you're going to have A and M people there. State can thank Dak, Dak Prescott for this more or less because both uh, his junior and senior year they were predicted I think sixth in the West and they finished second and uh, fourth. I was just thinking this was very on brand Dan Mullen in general. True, very true, and in a can, good way, not bad. No, no, it's definitely good. It's good to outperform and. And, and, you know, to be overachieving. Kentucky has outperformed where they've been picked a little bit. Um, seven spots cumulatively better. On average, Kentucky finishes one spot higher than their, where they were picked in the preseason. Then you go to Missouri, then Vanderbilt, then Texas A&M. Um, Florida and Ole Miss, both at plus one over the course of the last five seasons. So basically, Ole Miss and Florida finish where they were picked. Now with Ole Miss there was kind of like a there was one outlier in each direction. The 2016 team was it? Is that right, Borky? Yeah, it turned out to be 5 and 7. That was the Florida State year. That's right. Chad Kelly so, got hurt. Things went off the rails. Defense didn't tackle people. 2016 Ole Miss was picked 3rd in the preseason. They finished dead last. Uh, of course, they finished second in the SEC West, three spots of where they were predicted to finish in 2015. That was the year that they went 10-3 and three and won the uh, the Sugar Bowl. Florida said surprised the world when it won the SEC East after being picked fifth in 2015, Jim McElwain's first season in Gainesville. Did it again the wrong way, though, when they finished fifth after being picked second in McElwain's third and final season of 2017. Things stabilized for the Gators when they finished third in their first season under Dan Mullen. So Ole Miss and Florida, basically where they are picked in the preseason is where they have finished over the last five seasons. Alabama minus one. Well, I mean, let's think about this for a second. (laughs) Alabama's picked to win the West every single year or win the SEC every year. And if they have one year where they don't do it, they're going to backtrack just a little bit. 2017. what's happened. 2017. Um. So Alabama's pretty much been picked to win the West every year and won the West every year. The one Richard's about to get to next, I think, is probably the least shocking thing of the last decade. LSU minus three. Oh, no. I was going to Tennessee. Okay. We'll get to that one. LSU reversed a trend last year when it turned a fifth-place prediction into a third-place finish. Other than that, LSU has either matched its hype or proved to be overrated in every year since 2012. 2018 season was the only one in which LSU was picked below third 
in the uh, preseason predictions. Um, you've got Auburn at minus four, Georgia minus four, Arkansas at minus five, South Carolina oh, minus Auburn six. Auburn would have been more overrated. Oh, really? Yeah, consistently. Because just like you mentioned, there's a lot of Alabama and Auburn media there that, that, that sort of overinflate Auburn. They were predicted to win the SEC in, uh, what, 2015? Or they were predicted to at least win the West, and they finished 6-6. Six and six. They're the hardest team to figure out on an annual basis. I agree with that. According to Barrett Salee's story, the media hasn't picked Auburn correctly at any point since expansion in 2012. In fact, it's only missed by one spot once, and that was in 2017 when Auburn won the SEC West. One wild roller coaster ride for the Tigers since 2012, according to Barrett Salee. And then there is Tennessee. How about that? Minus seven. The only time the media has picked the Vols correctly in the SEC East was in 2015 when they finished second behind Florida. Tennessee clearly has not met its preseason hype in any of the last three seasons. They were bad at the end of the season last season. But for some reason, I feel like this year is different. Not that they're going to go challenge for the East or anything like that. But they do have pieces in place that, on paper, should be a bold team and somebody that isn't an easy out, for sure. So maybe this one's different, but they do get that offseason. Vols are back every year. Why does the media collectively want that so badly? Who cares? Because Tennessee was good when they were growing up. That's why. Most media can't grasp the changing landscape in college football because when they were kids, it's how that was, and so they still think that's how it is. That's my theory, anyway. I told you how they'll predict the West, the media will. I think the East will be Georgia, Florida. I'm not sure what you do with three, four, and five. Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina. And then Kentucky and Vanderbilt. I think Missouri might be picked in front of... I don't know. I got to think on that. Missouri a little bit. will probably be third, then, then Tennessee, South Carolina. I gotta find a saint somewhere. Got a text a little while ago, Borky, that said, uh, "So you guys are just going to play the entire Fruitcakes album today? I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Sports talk, uh, sports talk, Mississippi, with you. Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend." We're talking, I think kind of ran out of time there at the end. So our predict this is guessing how the media will predict the East. Georgia and Florida at one and two. Kentucky and Vanderbilt at six and seven. So the question is what you do do with three, four, and five. My guess is because of their schedule, Missouri's picked third. Who's picked fourth? Tennessee or South Carolina? Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay. South Carolina's got a brutal brutal schedule, man. Maybe the hardest in the country. Because they have Clemson, the number one team in the country, and their two West teams are Alabama at home, and then they go to Texas A&M, and they open the season with a Power 5 opponent. They were, uh, last year at Tennessee, there were people with like jobs and stuff that thought they were going to challenge Georgia for the East. <laughs> people with jobs and stuff? <laughs> It's unbelievable. There'll be a bowl hey, team, I think. Probably. 
Hey, Dad, is Joe Burrow going to be your first team All SEC quarterback or your second team quarterback? Probably both. <laughs> Why not? I mean, you can obviously. I may. I may put him in at running back and receiver as well. You ever seen him walk on water? Huh? No, I haven't. But you know, there are probably reports that he could. He's seen Jalen Hurts walk on water, though. Just seen Jalen Hurts win a lot of football games and throw for a lot of yards. Yeah, he did. It, did it all by himself. LeBron Cavs esque the first time. <laughs> well, it's it's a good thing he went to Oklahoma then. He yep. Stayed with the five star players. Who is your second team quarterback? From. Okay, let me rephrase the question. Who's the second best quarterback in the SEC? Is it still Jake Fromm? Yes. Um, I think he's good. It could, I think he's good, but is he the second best quarterback in the SEC? It could be Kelly Bryant. That's uh, where I was going with that. I don't. I wouldn't. I would vote for Fromm over over Kelly Bryant. I might vote for Kellen Mond over Kelly Bryant. Ooh, there's a take. Mond's gonna put up big numbers. I bet this year. I'm talking about not necessarily who you're going to put on your team, but who's the better quarterback. What if I told you, not on the preseason team, but at the end of the year, the second team all-SEC quarterback is going to be Felipe Franks? I would buy that stock in a heartbeat, man. They're going to win a bunch of football games, and Dan Mullen can do a lot with a little at that position. He just signed with the Red Sox. <laughs> what a smart decision by him, by the way. Get a little extra money. How is that not smart? He had to get something from them. No intention of playing baseball, but he'll get a little cash in his pocket. Yeah, it's a smart decision. I was talking Do to we Anthony know- Offered about that a while back. Like, can you imagine going to college with you know, a couple hundred K in your pocket? What did Anthony Offered say about that? Um, he, well, I mean, he said it was a no-brainer. He wanted to go to college and play uh both sports, but then when the the Blue Jays kind of presented that option to him out of nowhere, and he said it was a fairly easy decision for him. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of sense. Do we know how much um, Felipe Franks got from the Red Sox? Oh, I'm sure it wasn't much. Ah, was there's the Google round. machine at work. I hear it. I hear the Google machine working. Uh... Forty grand. Wow! Wow! What? Yeah. Really? Forty thousand dollars. Forty more than I got to play for him. <laughs> so 30, there was there was no chance. No chance that Felipe Franks was headed over to play for Kevin O'Sullivan, and he just got forty grand bonus money to go play. I mean, a that's some weeks pretty good walking around money. Because I was talking, it was interesting. So this is. I guess I'll tease it for a story I'll put out next week, probably at Media Days, on the challenges of playing two sports in college. But what was interesting to me was that I talked to Sinquest Golson, and his was the much harder route because he's literally going straight from football the day it ends to baseball. But offered, he would do. He was just a regular student playing football, and then just once spring ball ended, he'd start hitting in the cage a little bit, and then after graduation, he'd go to extended or graduation exams go to extended spring training, then play in a league for a month and come back for football and get paid for that. And I assume Franks is going to do something similar to that. Sounds like a much easier much easier ask. No doubt. And you get forty grand to do it. If that doesn't and show you... that the slot system is broken, then I don't know what does. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, in some ways. But, like, after the slot round, you can offer the dudes whatever you want. Up to how much? 
how much money is in their bank account. Like you can literally offer them whatever. No, I thought there was a cap after the slotted. Like you couldn't offer more than a hundred thousand or a couple of hundred thousand mm. after that point. You want to be a part of the conversation? You can do so on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Um, this from the uh, the six six two. I expect Matt Corral to be pretty good. Total offensive yards, not necessarily passing. I'm curious to see how much they run him this year because he's capable of doing so. But that, and we've talked about it before, this is nothing new if you've listened to the show long enough. It's not breaking. Rich Rodriguez does not just run a running offense. That is a just a false narrative. If he's got a capable passer, then they will throw the football and do it effectively. But Corral can do both. I wonder how, how much they're going to use him in the running game, though, because he doesn't appear to be... And maybe he can. He's just not a big physical guy, you know? So... How much do they run him this year? Because they don't have to run him to have success. I think that was one of the things that you could probably actually take away from his very limited action, that he was a more willing runner than I thought. Busted a big one against ULM. And he can slide, which helps? Uh, Yeah, he can. Was that Burrow that said that he doesn't slide or doesn't know how to slide? Yeah, which was a really stupid thing to say and do. Gotta love the toughness on that guy, right, hey, Dad? (laughs) Gotta love something. Yeah. Total hey, you want some? You want some recent Joe Burrow quotes? Some recent ones? Yeah, this was from a story that uh, ran in the Advocate on July eighth after a radio interview that he did with Off the Bench. That's one hundred four five ESPN in Baton Rouge. Uh, Joe Burrow thinks the new up tempo run pass option offense is quote going to be really really explosive, and I'm excited to showcase it. I don't think a lot of people are used to LSU scoring 40, 50, 60 points a game. I'm sure not. Kick and play on my team. I can throw with anybody in the country, quote Joe Burrow. That was on Monday of uh, this week. You know, mm. people make fun of that, but what else is he going to say? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm an average passer. You know, I'm really limited downfield. So, I'm you all know. right. Yeah, what Fair is, to Midland. When they ask those, I know sometimes you have to ask questions like that, but like, I would almost respect just one dude, just be like, actually, you know what? I suck. <laughs> Tell the coaches. I'm, I'm scared really, to. I think I should be bumped off the depth chart. I'm awful. He also said, um, let's see, after I can throw with anybody in the country, uh, obviously high expectations in 2019 about last year. We weren't pegged to be one of the best teams in the SEC. Now we have the experience to go with the talent. He was asked if this now going into his second year feels like his team. And he went with the, I feel like it's our team. I don't feel like it's my team or any one player on the team. It's our team. Coach O talks about that. It's not his team. It's our team. Uh, it's LSU's team. I think we've got a lot of leaders that work together to create this thing. Can't so. coach Humble. If I had a Heisman vote, it'd already be filled out. <laughs> do you like Joe Burrow or do you just like antagonizing Hey Dad? I love Joe Burrow and antagonizing Hey Dad, so neither. But what do you love about Joe Burrow? You heard the kid talk. It's electric. 
<laughs> this is going to be a thing all year. I might just start sending Hey Dad highlights. Quinn oh, tells man. us he's heard that uh, Burrow can indeed walk on water, that from a reliable source. He didn't put up numbers last year, but you could tell. I mean, you, it bad. you can tell when you watch him, he's a talented kid. He's capable. Joe Burrow last year. Texas, we'll see what happens. 16 touchdowns, five picks, 2,894 yards, completed 58% of his passes. Only threw it 219 times. I would take LSU minus 10 right now against Texas. Oh. Oof. Uh, right now. We're about to make a bet, Borgie. I think this is the point where I offer to be the book. Put another stake on it. Let me think about it during the break. Yeah, I'll take Texas plus 10. Okay, good. I'm in for that, yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. I don't know if you can tag onto that bet or not, hey, Dad. We'll have to get a ruling when we come back. Jason in Columbus with a question on the C Spire text line. You can text in as well, 601-879-4395. Lots happening at C Spire and lots of ways for you to save money. What's more awesome than getting the new new device you want? Getting it for a great deal. That's why C Spire is giving you $650 off top smartphones when you switch and trade in a qualifying device. C Spire, customer inspired. Um, so the question from Jason is, who will be the best running back in the SEC this year? That's a pretty open-ended question. I asked Jason, are you talking about yards, touchdowns, number of carries, what? And he said, just kind of all-around performance. Who's going to get the rock the most and be the most productive with it? Leading rusher in the SEC a year ago was Travion Williams at A&M. Rushed for 1,760 yards and 18 touchdowns. Second was Benny Snell. 1,449 yards, and 16 TDs. Do you know who the third most productive running back was in terms of yards last year? Nick Brissett? Uh, Keyshawn no. Vaughn. Keyshawn Vaughn at Vanderbilt. Brissett was four, five, six, seventh. <clears throat> Two pretty decent candidates in Mississippi. Yeah. In Scotty Phillips and Kylan Hill. I think the answer is DeAndre Swift at Georgia. More than likely. Swift had 1,049 yards a season ago, rushed for almost 75 a game, 10 touchdowns. Scotty Phillips averaged 84 yards per game. Kylan Hill averaged 67 yards per game. Phillips rushed for 925 and 12 touchdowns last season. Kylan Hill, hey, Dad, don't throw up in your mouth here, 734 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. What's the yards per carry? Um, you'll have to do the math. I think it's I think it was like six and a half. So seven thirty four divided by one seventeen. I don't have yards per carry in front of me. I, I like to point something out here, by the way, Richard. You said I can't tag on to your bet there. I said well, no. I, did, Bork- I, did, no, I didn't no, no. say you couldn't tag on. I just said I didn't know if you could tag on. Borky threw Richard, it out is, there. Borky, that, that Borky was talking to me. I said, wait till Burrow throws four picks against Texas, and then he came back with, I would take LSU minus 10 right now. He's talking to me. That's my bet. You're attacking Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second now. You said you wanted to 
he he threw it out there as I'll bet we'll bet another stake. You said I need to think about it, and I, I said, said I'll take it. I'll lay, I'll give but you it's the still 10. My bet. But it I'll might not it, still be on the table if you wanted to sit back and think on it for another five yeah. minutes. Well, I'll take it if it's still out there. It's six point two seven yards per carry. All right. Should have gotten the ball more. Wait, I mean, is the bet still out there? Wait, what is the bet? I, I He's threw gonna, out there LSU uh, I'm gonna get, minus I'm gonna take, 10. I'm going to take Texas plus 10. I'm in. It was a stake bet. And, Borky, I don't want to put you in a spot where you got to pay two stakes if you don't want to. I will defer, and if Haydad wants it, I will let him take it. He's going to have to pay no, you both can have it. Over. Y'all can split it. Just rip it in half. You get one ribeye. We're going to cut it in half. And, yeah. I'll, I'll back out. I'll, I'll let Haydad have this bet. All right, so, so Haydad. Well, wait, what, what is you and I, just you and I's? I, I think I'm still minus one stake for you, right? Yeah, you're minus a stake for me, but then you're also in on having to pay for Haydad's stake. Well, you guys can handle that in Hoover. Since, That's right. Since you're That's leaving me behind, I think my participation in the bet gets void. What do I? Oh, okay. So you're welching on a bet. That's what you're saying. What do I owe hate at a stake for? The Masters. Mm, is there documentation of that? Yes. Yeah, you finished yes. dead last. Not only do you have you're to pay the bill, the you have to pay the tip. Oof. What's twenty percent of? Oh man, it's not how I remember it. <laughs> well, good thing we have audio evidence. Yeah, that is how that went down. Um, hey, Dad had the best finish in the Masters. Rippy and or uh, Borky and I finished middle of the pack, and Rippy, you were—I uh, don't know—you said some guy embarrassed his family. Paul Casey and his profession, <laughs> and cost you dead last, which meant you had to get the tip. When are we doing that? What day? Double or nothing on the British. Nah, negative. That's like a guy that doesn't play golf. He, he just said you can't press. Don't worry. I, I'll get. I'll win this uh, Texas LSU bet. And, so no uh, double or nothing. Out. Just hand me your man card when I pay for the tip. Okay. <laughs> you're you're not gonna let Rippy double down on the uh, on the on the dinner bet. I don't think hey hey didn't hey I, I, I have been waiting for this dinner since it's it's happened. I'm like three days away from it now. This is not no, gonna I'm go not gonna down give, well I'm either. Gonna I'm, I'm gonna resent all of this because one of Haydad's picks was like Nick Price or Nick Faldo or something, and he still won that thing. Picked Donald Palmer yeah. from the grave. Unbelievable. One of them was Mike Weir. Yeah, right. it's like. I think he's in like insurance now. You know what, buddy? The backup <laughs> quarterback gets the Super Bowl ring too. Are you seriously not going to let Rippy go double or nothing double, on his I'm bet? I'm going to get my steak dinner. You could in have Hoover. You could have two. I could have. I could have two, but I do have one. Weak. The, he's the guy that the casinos. We hate, can. Rippy. Here's what I'll do. We can have another bet, but I'm getting this steak dinner, so it, it can be. That's not what that, double or nothing means. Then, 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 yeah, then, then, no, I'm not interested. Weak. Is the conversation over? I, I wanted the two of you to go at it a little bit more. I was just standing back and letting one of you be the little bagel man. Yeah, to the victors go the spoils, is what I would tell you. Next time, pick better. That's all I can say. Yeah, but the guy that won't let somebody try to cover his losses by doubling down on the bet, I'm not sure you can trust that bet guy. Bet with your head, not over it, is what I would say. This message brought to you by our, the good folks at the Pearl River Resort.
We're going double or nothing. Hey, Dad just doesn't know it yet. Well, I'm just going to say we're going to go out to eat, and I'm going to walk away from the tab, and if it doesn't get paid, y'all can wash some dishes. That's not going to be on me. I know who to point the cops to. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.